from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We are we're walking through what I like to call the Gospel of Isaiah. And there's this great, this great verse. The grass fails. Uh, the flowers falter. But the word of our Lord stands forever. The word of our Lord stands forever. God's word endures. Endures through time, endures through cultures, and endures through all age. The word of God endures. And as followers of Jesus, we, we submit ourselves uh, to him and his word. And so we're talking about what that means in our world today. And as uh, I'm sure many of you know, I'm sure all of you know, that our Supreme Court recently made a decision uh, mandating a marriage, gay marriage, in, in all 50 states. And as a church, we say, hmm, what does that mean for us today? What does that mean? And there's some good questions, some hard questions, and it's good for us to wrestle with it. And I'll be completely honest with you. There's part of me that said, let's just skip it. <laughs> let's just skip it. Let's just kind of just like not talk about it in this setting. But I'm your pastor, which means I have to talk about it. Even if I don't want to, I have to. Because the word of our Lord endures forever. And so we're talking about it. And so my goal for today is simply this. That as we walk out today, we would know two things. The first is this. We are all broken. We are all broken. And we all need God's grace. That's the theme for today. And so if you walk out remembering only one thing, my prayer is that you would remember that. We are all broken. And we are all in need of God's grace. The Bible does talk about homosexuality. Not often, but it does. It's mentioned a few times in the Old Testament where it is condemned as a sin. And then the New Testament, Paul, who is a missionary to a Gentile context, also mentions it a couple times and says that homosexuality, or the act of homosexuality, is a sin. It's pretty clear in the, in the, in the Bible. There's been an argument, uh, I've heard just recently actually, that Jesus never condemns homosexuality. That's not quite true. I want to share some passages with you. It's Matthew chapter 19, it says this. Jesus said, At the beginning the Creator made the male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So Jesus refers to Genesis chapter 1 and even quotes Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 2. And says, God has made male and female. And when God makes male and female, he describes this, he describes creation as making Adam. And Adam looks around all of creation and finds no one there to be with him, a partner, a helpmate, a soulmate. And so God takes Adam. And your translation will often say he takes a rib from Adam, right? Remember that? Adam's rib? The Hebrew's not quite that specific. It really says his side. Cleaves him. <laughs> Pulls apart. Makes woman. And so Adam says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The two become one flesh. Jesus quotes that from Genesis. It is a sexual euphemism 
that in marriage, male and female, husband and wife, become one flesh. Because I'm not sure how else to say this, the parts fit together. And that's how God designed it. Jesus, further back in Matthew chapter 15, says this about sex. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, uh, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So the context is Jesus is speaking into a Jewish culture that people he's teaching and working and walking around with. And he says to them, okay, you're getting really concerned about a lot of the rules, like hand, how to wash your hands and things like that. And that's not really important. What really is important is not what you do on the outside, but what comes out from the inside. And he lists a whole list of things, including adultery, and then separately, sexual immorality. And in Jesus' time and in that culture, sexual immorality included anything that was outside the bond of marriage. So sex between a male and female who were not married was considered sexual immorality. A sex between a man and another male, immor sexual immorality, same with females. That's the time that Jesus lived in. So much has been made of the fact that Jesus never speaks specifically against homosexuality. But he's speaking to a primarily Jewish audience. He doesn't have to. It's already understood. In the same way Jesus never speaks about cursing your parents. He never talks against that either. But he doesn't have to. Because in that culture it's already understood that it's a sin. And what Jesus does here is he amplifies the total meaning of the law and of holiness. And I want to share these challenging words of Jesus with you. It's Matthew chapter 5. It's part of his Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this. You've heard it said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. <clears throat> Jesus takes the commandment, do not commit adultery, and he expands it. He expands it to include not just actions, but heart and emotion, and thoughts as well. And so here's the big takeaway. We are all broken. We are all broken. And not only that, we are all broken in every way. It's not as if we're partially broken and Jesus comes to do a little remodel project on you. We are all broken and we're all broken in every way. And when Jesus comes into your life, his, his goal is not to do a little remodeling. His goal is to tear the whole structure down and build something completely new. We're all broken. We're all broken spiritually. 
we're broken spiritually and our first inclination is, is toward ourselves and not toward God. We pray, thy will be done. And so often what we really mean is, my will be done. Or, Lord, if you would submit your will to mine, that'd be fantastic. Because we're broken spiritually. We're broken mentally. And I don't mean forgetting where you're lost, where you put your keys. It's worse than that. We don't think about events in our life the way God wants us to think about life. When we're sinned against, our first thought is about revenge instead of grace. When making complex and challenging decisions, our first thought so often is, what's best for me, instead of, what, is, what would God have me do, or where is God calling me to be and to do? We're broken mentally. We're broken emotionally. You don't need to be turned inside out to know that sometimes our emotions conflict with what we really should be doing. And those emotions, they wrestle within us so many times. And whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, and so often we don't do it. We let our emotions just take control. Because we're broken emotionally. We're broken sexually. Each and every one of us. We're broken sexually. And some of you might resist here. Some of you might say, no, I saw my doctor about that one. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm all good. Some of you might resist a different way and say, uh, you might pull, you know, conjure Mongo from Blazing Saddles. Aha. Uh -huh. Mongo's straight. Right? It's true, though. We're broken sexually. We demonstrate our brokenness when we commit lust in our heart. We demonstrate brokenness when we treat people as objects instead of persons. We treat humans as meat instead of someone's son or someone's daughter. We treat we are broken sexually when we use sex as a tool to control our spouses. If I hit everyone here yet, let me keep on going. I got more. We're broken sexually when we find our identity and our sexuality rather than in Christ who has redeemed us. We're broken sexually when we're more concerned about our appearance and sex appeal than our faithfulness and discipleship. We're broken sexually when we're more concerned about performance than connection. And my friends, we're broken sexually when the gift of sex is used outside the bonds and commitment of marriage. We are broken. Each and every one of us. And we are broken in every way. And that's why we all need Jesus. Jesus came and he died upon a cross for my sin and for yours. Because we are broken. And he didn't come because you're a little broken. He came because you're completely broken. And he didn't come because you're completely broken in some areas, but good in others. Jesus came to seek and to save and to die for your sin and for mine because we are completely broken in every way. 
And we need Jesus. Jesus did not die on a cross so that you can continue to find your identity in your repaired brokenness. But so that he could give you a new identity in him. It's a little big. Let me, let me narrow that down. Jesus did not die on a cross so I could consider myself a heterosexual married male who tries to be less broken. It's not why Jesus came. Jesus died and rose for you so that you would know yourself as created by a loving God and redeemed by a gracious Savior. That that's your identity. So who are you? See, if you define yourself by your career, then your self-esteem and your perceived value will depend on your success in your career. If you define yourself by your role in life as husband, wife, parent, child, employer, employee, then your value is dependent on those, how those other people in your circles, your family, uh, close friends, how they perceive you. If your value is determined by your sexuality, then your selected category and appearance will determine your perceived value and self-worth. If you define yourself by Jesus' love for you, then you will know that you have incredible value and that you are of great worth. That knowledge will not fluctuate or change or be determined by others. That, my friends, is the gospel. That's the gospel. We are all broken. And we're broken in every way. And Jesus comes he dies and he rises to save and to redeem and to restore. Life is lived in that joyful security and that grace-filled life. And marriage is that model. It's that model of, of God's commitment to us. In Ephesians chapter 5 Jesus says that, that the church is the bride of Christ. And Jesus is love for you, the church reflects the love that we show in, in marriage. And here I'm going to veer off the text. So from this point on, if you're like Jesus, Jason, I think, uh, I don't think the Bible supports what you're saying there. You might be right. So I'll just precursor with that. Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me say that again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, if you hear those words and you're not quaking in your shoes, you haven't heard it correctly. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, God's flow chart looks like this. It's God showers his love upon a marriage and that husband and wife shower that love upon a family and that family showers her love to everyone around them. Everyone around them. No matter race, creed, or sexuality. 
the problem with marriage in America. And the problem is not that gay people want to get married. That's not the problem. Do you know how many percent of people in America identify themselves as gay, lesbian, or transgender? Another percent? Recent surveys say people guess, and they're guessing it's like 15, 20%. I've heard as high as 25%. But the research shows that it's closer to 2%. One study said 3, one study said 1, most say about 2%. So the issue with marriage in America is not gay marriage. The percentages are just way too small. That's not the problem. The problem in America is not men being with other men, but rather men not being men. That's the issue with giving marriage in America. Men. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's a high calling. What it means is that her needs come before your needs. That the needs of your kids come before your needs. That the, the wishes, the dreams, the desires, the, 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 just the, the hopes of your brides come before yours. It's hard words, huh? Now you're all going, hey, wait a minute, I think we're talking about gay people. Now you're talking to me. I don't know if I like this. Gentlemen, it's not to say that uh, the problem with marriage in America isn't also a female issue as well, but in my counseling experience, most of the time it's, it's a male issue. It just is. And so men, I want to remind you that you are loved by Jesus Christ who died and rose for you. And that his power is in you. And to love your families. Specifically, love your spouses. You know one of the best thing you can do for your kids? Love their mom. That's the best thing you can do for your kids. You know that God loves you. And know you're going to fail time and time again. I was preparing for the sermon yesterday. And my son, Timmy, he says to me, Dad, can we play apples to apples? And I said, no, I'm working on a sermon. Is <laughs> that the worst thing you can say to a kid? <laughs> no, I can't hang out with you, son. I'm doing Jesus time, right? I got I to gotta pay him back for that one this afternoon. We are all broken. Jesus. And when God's love flows into you, and you find your self-worth and your value, not in your past, or in your achievements, or your sexuality, but simply in God's love for you, then you're in a position to share that love with those around you. Everyone including those you don't agree with, including those who believe something completely different. 
love them. Because God loves them. And Jesus Christ died for them. And by the grace of God, he died for you and for me. We are all broken. And we're broken in every way. And thanks be to God, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die and to rise and to save and to redeem the broken. Amen? Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord for life everlasting.